Take a look. Nine verses. Really stock full of really good stuff. Nine, but not ten. I will show you what remarkable facility I have in stretching nine verses to the point where you're just scratching your eyeballs out. <laughs> when will you stop? So nine verses, I want you to see something in it. Uh, would you take a look through Psalm 28, noticing the word my, M-Y, and what follows it. And as you see each occurrence of the word my, can you just share with the group what you see? My rock is the first occurrence. You got the idea? Keep going. My, I didn't hear you. My hands, thank you. That's right. Supplications. Yeah, my supplications. Um, I think someone said my shield. Did you say that? Good, good, good. My shield. My heart, somebody said, yes. My supplications. Supplications, that's right. My song. Good, you're doing good. You're doing it in order, even. Great. My. What you my heart, good. My cry, that's good. My strength and my shield, good. I think you, did you cover it? Yes, sir. Pretty much? Listen, just a, hello, brother. I haven't seen that guy in a million years. Sorry about that, folks. Um, so here's something. When you study the Bible, pay attention to what's repeated, because if it's repeated, it's repeated for a reason. Because God, unlike some of us, is not wordy for no reason. Whatever's in the Bible is for all scripture is inspired and profitable. <laughs> so you see the word my coupled with uh, additional words all through these mere nine verses, at least nine occurrences of the word my in uh, a mere nine verses. So you have, you have David speaking of my uh, supplications and my heart and my hands and my song. And then he lays claim to transcendent deity as if he has a personal connection with him. My, not the rock, my rock, my shield, my deliverer, all the rest. And so you have some notion of what's going on in the psalm. David's in touch with his stuff, that which is um, connected to him. He's in big trouble. And he's going to join his stuff, his hand, his heart, his song. He's going to join it with his infinite, transcendent, unlimited God who is his rock. And he's going to find relief. He's going to say, though uh, my heart is hurting, though my hands are extended uh, for rescue, as great, as extreme, as real as my experience of a hurt heart and an extended hand, is uh, my awareness of the closeness of a, of a God who has at his disposal unlimited resources. Amen. He's joining his stuff to his Savior 
And he's going to end up praising God in the end. Yes. It's kind of the outline, if you will, to this song. Now, one of those words, my words, is repeated two times. My, which one occurs two times? Supplications. Uh, supplications is what I was going for. Can you tell me the two places where supplications occurs? Two and six. Take a look at verse two. Take a look at verse six. Tell me the difference. Same word, used in two different senses. Same. That's it exactly. One is the request, verse two, and the other is the answer, verse six. So you're going to find, really, an outline, a rather simple outline to the book. He's in trouble. He utters his request. He receives an answer, and he finishes differently than he begins. He begins with a very uh, dramatic, personal, passionate petition. He ends with a very dramatic, public praise. What has happened? His supplications have been answered. Why have they been answered? Because he asked. Look, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. Why? Well, because he could. Let's not take this too much for granted. The fact that we could actually speak to an otherwise unapproachably holy God. You and I might not be granted an audience even with famous human personalities. You may have a hard time getting an appointment with a special doctor whom you want to see. But we can call upon Almighty God. Why? Because of that little word, my. It's huge. It's a possessive, personal pronoun. It can only be uttered by people who have a relationship with God. My. Otherwise, you have to think of God generically. The God. A God. So when people do polls and find out that the vast majority of Americans or others believe in God, sure. It means they believe there is some general something bigger than us out there. Something, someone, who knows. That's a far cry from being able to say, my rock. Uh, only those who are connected to this transcendent deity by faith can use the possessive personal pronoun. Otherwise, everyone else is religious. Religious people have a generic concept of God, and they are seeking to win his favor by cleaning up their own act. But my God people realize they are uh, impoverished spiritually, can render no offering acceptable to God, and have received his perfect offering, which is the sending and dying of his own son. Of course, as a bridge, as a mediator, so that we can establish this my God connection. My God. It's huge, folks. If you are a personal, possessive, pronoun person, <laughs> everything's going to be fine. Because in order for you to lay claim to God, it means he has first laid claim to you. He has possessed you. He has purchased you. He has redeemed you. David knew this and so therefore he could cry out to a whole lot of people. Nothing wrong with that. Except it's, it's, if it's a substitute to crying out to God. To you, oh Lord. Why would you call out to someone who doesn't care? 
You're wasting your words. You're speaking to the wind. Why would you call out to someone who cares but doesn't have the ability to help? Well, 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 well God is, is, a, is someone who not only cares but also has at his disposal unlimited resources to bring to bear on our life situations. And that's why David was very wise to say, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Look what he says. Don't be deaf. If you're silent, now wait a second, deaf, silent, those are uh, speaking of two different senses, aren't they? Deaf, hearing, silent, speaking. It's a very subtle thing to pay attention here, you, you miss it. David says, I don't want you to be hearing impaired. I want you to be listening to my cry, for I utter it to you. But that's not good enough just for God to be a good listener. We have lots of good listeners around us, but a lot of times we want relief, we want to be rescued. We want the goods to be delivered. We don't want someone just to listen. So David says, I, I, I want you to hear, but also I don't want you to be silent. In other words, when you're finished hearing from me, I would like you to address the situation. I would like you to intervene. I'd like you to insert yourself into the mix. I'd like you to speak to my situation. That's another reason why we want to cry out to God. He not only yes. hears, he's able to intervene. He's able to address our situation. David was in trouble. That's why he said, I'm going to become like those who go down to the pit. God, if, if you don't hear, and if after you hear, if you don't address my situation, I'm going to die. I'm going to be indistinguishable from those who go down to the pit. Now, David's saying a lot in his day as a Hebrew because the word pit meant the place where people go when they die with the wrath of God upon them. David is not so much here fearful of dying. He's fearful of dying with the wrath of God upon him. He's fearful of dying indistinguishably from those who are evil and wicked and don't have a my God relationship. He's making this the basis of his petition. He's saying, God, if things are different between you and I, if I'm not lost in the crowd, if I have this personal connectedness to you, then you must hear and you must deliver. Because if you don't, I'm going to go the way of everybody else who don't have a personal relationship with you. Don't let me go down to the pit. Don't let me be like those who don't have a personal, possessive, pronoun relationship with you. See what he, can you see what he's saying? So then he says in verse 2, Hear my voice, the voice of my supplications. Um, do you have a Bible that renders that differently? What does yours say? Instead of hear the voice of my supplications. What, what do you have, brother? Pleading, hear my pleading, that's good. Cry. Cry is also very good. Cry for what? Ah. That's what the Hebrew behind the word supplications means. A plea or a cry for mercy. Folks, uh, there is one cry that God will always hear. It's the cry for mercy. Why? Because he is the God of all mercy. If he hears one's cry for mercy, it has nothing to do with the one crying. It has to do with the one being cried out to. 
God has to be consistent with himself even if you are a wipeout. Even if you have committed sin, like you have. Even if you have brought upon yourself uh, the circumstances which you are now crying out to him about, it doesn't matter. He still will hear your cry for mercy because he's merciful. But what if you utter a cry asserting your rights? That's a cry he'll never hear. Why? Do you know what your rights are? Do you know what my rights are? How about to be crucified? You want your just desserts? You don't ever want to cry uh, to God uh, to treat you with fairness. You don't ever want to say, oh God, that's not fair. Because then God can say, you want fair? I'll give you fair. You have committed a crime against divinity. You have violated my holy commandments. Okay, let's be fair. I will destine you to eternity apart from me. Because your unholiness cannot mix with my uncompromising holiness. You want to be fair? So you never want to cry out. Listen, in today's society, everyone is crying out for their rights. And fewer people are um, asserting their responsibilities. This is a rights-oriented day, not a responsibilities-oriented day. And by the way, I think that's why if our country goes under, look, I'm saying it with a smile, if our country goes under, it'll be because uh, we've become a, a uh, rights-oriented, everyone wants a piece of the pie, and there is no common good. You know what the experts say? We couldn't win World War II anymore. You know why? We couldn't agree on it. No. We couldn't get together. Not at all. And face a common foe, a common threat, pool our resources, make personal sacrifices, and win. That's what they say. It's not that we couldn't win it because we don't have the military army. We don't have the will anymore. Correct. Today we have a will to have our rights. Everyone wants their rights. Everyone, And the politicians hear this. So they know how to give every people group, even fringe crazy ones, their rights so as to remain in office. So I've never seen the United States of America less united. It's the disunited states of America. And I'll tell you that to depress you. I tell you, everything's happening the way it's supposed to happen, so don't get too nervous. Uh, but, but the point is, uh, don't bring that attitude to, to the throne of grace. Don't say to God, hey, I want fairness, or hey, I want to be treated fairly, here are my rights. Oh! Here's what you want to do. Oh, God, I know what I rightfully deserve. Yes. Instead, please be merciful to yes. me. Oh, God, I know I probably have, through my own sinful decisions, put myself in the present mess I'm in. But in spite of it, God, would you remain true to who you are? Would you be merciful? Would you be gracious? Oh, God, hear my cry. God does. It's like being in a crowded room, maybe like this. But everyone's a buzz. Everyone's standing and talking and frolicking and having a good time. And there's one little baby <laughs> in the corner of the room in a nursery who has been sleeping up to a certain point and then cries out, hungry, needs diaper change, who knows what these kids do. And this one person in the whole crowded room who suddenly stops and hears that little baby's cry for help and goes over to meet the baby's needs. Who do you think that person is? Of course! Because there's an extraordinary tie between the mother and the child. It's unfathomable. You can't, it's inexplicable. You can't make sense of it. She could hear the babies cry in a crowded room. And so too could Heavenly Father. 
when one of his kids cries for mercy. Amen. You're not lost in the shuffle. Charlie? Uh, Brother John's got a friend that wrote a book, Crying Out to oh, God. Yeah. And that is just a wonderful yeah, book. Yeah. And as big of problems that I have sometimes because of my own making, I have to utilize that. And God seems to straighten out those crooked paths and make them straight. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how He can do things. It is. I forgot to go off the trolley, but you're right. Crying out to God yeah. as opposed to just. Oh, yeah. Catching casualties. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good, good, good. So, folks, um, hear my cry for mercy, says David. When I lift up my hands, oh, lift up my hands. Wow, that's interesting. Um, do you know if you study the Bible to see the correct prayer posture, you'll be frustrated? Because just about every imaginable one is covered in the Bible. In a church I served in once, a lady told me I'm leaving the church because all these young people are going charismatic. What do you mean, says I? Look what they're doing with their hands. See, so this lady has associated a theological perspective with a prayer posture. No, this doesn't. You know what this means? Well, let's find out what it meant today. He said, I lift up my hands. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you, let's not judge people who do this. There's no Sometimes people fall on their face before God. Sometimes people bow their heads. You know what the right way is? What's right for you? What are you comfortable with? What is helpful to you in focusing on Almighty God? You just do that. But we shouldn't judge one another for a physical prayer posture. No, sir. It's kind of crazy to me. But anyway, yes. uh, what, why is he doing what he's doing? I'm lifting up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. So tell me, what's the holy sanctuary? What do you say, Lynn? Yeah, no, Linda is right. Ultimately, it's heaven. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Holy sanctuary. Any other thoughts on it? That's the ultimate holy sanctuary. Linda's correct. And the tabernacle. Now, that would be the earthly, uh, temporary uh, structure that points to what Linda so well pointed out, the ultimate holy sanctuary. So... Charlie, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. uh, the German girl over in the prison, what's her name? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Corey. The Dutch Corey. girl. The Dutch Corey girl in a German prison. A book or something. The hiding place. Yeah. And she used the Lord Jesus as her hiding place. See, this is very uh, excellent. Um, even in that setting, she extended herself. Right. to the Lord Jesus as our hiding place. That's exactly the concept here. I'm really shocked you're on target two times a day. <laughs> we haven't even had a hint of a political statement yet. But there's still time, right? So here's the deal. Uh, the holy uh, uh, sanctuary that David is alluding to, uh, first the tabernacle, which is a sanctified tent. But there was a special place in the tent during Israel's wilderness wanderings where God said, I'll establish my presence. Uh, Shekinah or Shekinah means smoke. It's kind of odd. This is the symbol of my presence here, my Shekinah glory. You can't come in. Only the high priest can come in. I'm just, it's just that holy. But that's going to be the point of contact on earth. 
between you and me. Of course, the ultimate tabernacle is the Lord Jesus. The contact point on earth between holy God and sinful men is in fact the incarnate in flesh Lord Jesus. But after the tabernacle, then you have the more permanent structure of the temple on the hill in Jerusalem, constructed by David? By Solomon. And it too had a holy place and the holy of holies, or the most holy place, which is the holy sanctuary. Yes. Now David is not necessarily in it at this time. I mean, he isn't. When he says, I'm, I'm lifting my hands to your holy sanctuary, you know what he's saying? I'm going to pray myself smack dab into the very presence of my rock in order to receive grace and mercy and help in time of need. Yes. He's saying in extending my hands, there's nothing mystical, there's nothing magical about it. It is helping me in a physical, concrete way to see that I'm extending myself in prayer to the very center of the will and ways and presence of Almighty God. And that's what prayer can do. So it doesn't matter where we are in life, where we're located, prayer is a way of extending ourselves. <laughs> Smack them into the Father heart of God where we can receive grace to help in time of need. Yes. So that's what he's doing over there. And in verse three, He's now talking more about evildoers. He has alluded to them earlier. He said, God, if you don't hear and help, I'll go into the pit like the wicked. Speaking of the wicked, verse 3, don't drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace. What do you think the Hebrew word for peace there is? Shalom. Way to go. Who speak shalom with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Think about this. Someone can be speaking peaceful things, articulately, eloquently, smoothly, persuasively, and yet on the inside have no intention of peaceful things at all. Hostility, war. How can you tell, therefore, whether someone's words are matched up with what's really on their heart. Well, it's something called discernment. I think discernment is the spiritual gift we most need today, even more than tongues. You don't want to lie that up about tongues for crying out loud. What is that? Amen. Wouldn't you rather have a discernment than all these magical gifts? You got it. Good night. Critical thinking, if I could put it a little more down to earth. Today, there's a dearth, absence of critical thinking. Today, if someone looks good, has media appeal, the average listener doesn't even know what they're saying, just as long as the way they say it is appealing. Yeah. Hence the last election. Why did you vote for who you voted for? And so many said, I like the way he looks. Yeah, but what does he stand for? I don't know. I didn't say every voter voted on that basis. I just said an astounding number. That's correct. Folks, throughout the history of humankind, people have made their vote on the basis of appearances. There's always been folks who have entered the scene when there have been economic <coughs> difficulties or 
other kinds of difficulties and risen to the fore because people in their desperation are willing to cast caution to the wind. And as long as it's different, he's different, she's different, it's got to be better. So you get guys like Adolf Hitler. That's right. I mean, it will, I'm going to make Germany great, the Third Reich. You know, that sounds good. Why not? Nationalism. What's wrong with nationalism? Yeah. You know, I'm proud to be an American, all this kind of stuff. Proud to be a German. Yeah, what's well, cool. Should be. Why not? Look what Hitler did. How about Stalin? He, too, was a smooth talker who, talk, who spoke about people. You know the famous photo of Stalin and, who was it, uh, Churchill and... Uh, Roosevelt, you know, signing the peace accords? The surrender. See, they're speaking shalom to their neighbors, but then it? How about Idi Amin in Africa? Remember Idi Amin? Pol Pot in Cambodia. Ceausescu in Romania. He slaughtered his people after they put him in the palace. So if you think I have any particular person in mind, you're wrong. I don't have any particular person in mind. I'm just saying the phenomenon seems to be a human one because we lack discernment. And so we make our decisions on external appearances because we don't have discernment from our eyes. We have no choice but to make... You know, you juxtapose one guy who looks like 240 years old next to a trim, slim, athletic guy and people don't even ask, yeah, but what do they stand for? Look what they look like. Folks, uh, one word proves my point. Antichrist. Right, yeah. Do you think he's going to appear uh, with horns, no, a big long tail, and a pitchfork? No, because even the least discerning amongst us will recognize him for who he is, and therefore he'll masquerade. And he's going to be personable like no one has ever been. Relational, congenial, articulate, attractive, probably have a sense of humor and definitely speak peace. And because the world is so hungry for it, particularly in the Middle East, um, they'll not only put him in office, they'll put him in a temple. Yes, sir. Folks, if I was you, I'm only me. I'm, I would cry out for discernment. Oh, man. God. Let us distinguish words from substance. Correct. Help us to distinguish media imagery from substance, from content. I think it's extraordinary to me. <laughs> Never mind, I can't say anything else. Don't be cheap. <laughs> All right, I won't. How do you elect to the highest office in the world the person who has no experience? Yeah, community organizer. I mean, I couldn't get elected to be mayor of Houston, Texas. I shouldn't be. What do I know? But I got a better chance of being elected president, apparently. I can skip over it all. Why? Appearances. That's right. Promises. Now, folks. It's not a political statement I'm making. It's a spiritual discernment statement. That's right. Nothing to do with politics. Nothing to do with politics. That's to do with verse 3. There are those who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Correct. How do I get to a heart of a matter? 
except God give me biblical discernment. So, all right. Pray for it. Pray for it. Don't be gullible. Verse 4, David says, requite them. Does your Bible have another word for requite? That's a rough word to figure out. Mike, what do you got there? Repay. That's what it means. Uh, uh, it means give. You might have give. Yeah, Essentially, what they were saying, give them what they deserve. That's what he's saying. Uh, uh, give them according to their work, according to their evil practices. Repay them or requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense. Now, something happens beginning at verse 5 to 8. You don't have to buy this. Use discernment. Uh, I think things change. I think up until now, David has been very privately pouring out his heart to God. And now I think he enters the congregation and makes comments, not to God, but to the people about God. Now, you don't have to buy this, but uh, let me tell you why I think that's happening, beginning in verse 5. Look, because they do not regard, he's still talking about evil people, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of his hands, he will tear them down and not build them up. See, he's now moved from the first person to the third person. He's not referring to God directly. He's using third person pronoun he and his. Isn't that third person? Singular? Yeah. So that's when you talk about someone, not to someone. See what I mean? So that's why I say I think we have some movement here. Uh, in the first four verses, he's speaking directly to God. Verse 5, now he's speaking of God to people in the congregation of believers. And verse 6, blessed be the Lord because he, see he doesn't say because you have heard. Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. Somehow David received an answer to his cry. What is the answer? Well, we don't know. Could it have been God intervening supernaturally and changing the circumstances? Sure, but not necessarily. It could have been that God changed David. Prayer does it. Have you had the experience? Right. You start out with a passionate petition about a personal problem. And in the process, I'm stuck on words that start with P. If, you, if, you, if in the process of pouring out your heart, <laughs> you find relief. Life may not have changed, but perspective has changed, has yes. it not? So in some way, David received an answer. Thus, you know what he's doing? He's blessing God or he's praising God. And why do I say I think he's doing it now in the congregation? In a very real sense, you can't praise God except it be public. Uh, there's personal, private prayer in your prayer closet, but praise has a public element to it. Praise is when you call people's attention to the attributes of God, and in order for you to do that, you have to have some people who are hearing. So that's why I think there's movement from his private in, uh, prayer time to public praise. Blessed be the Lord. He's heard the voice of my supplication. Um, David had assurance, you see, for two reasons. Number one, he had a my relationship with God. And second, remember, his cry was for mercy. And he knew that God would hear it. And then it goes on in verse 7. 
the, he goes on, David does, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am held. Therefore my heart exalts, and with my song I shall thank him. See, I, this to me just has the whole atmosphere of a congregational, if you will, kind of a worship uh, service. He's reporting to people what happened. He said, I was hurting and I was in trouble. And I cried out to God, who else, David would say, would hear and have the resources to deliver me? And he, he would say, I cried for mercy and God heard my cry. And he delivered me. And he said, God is my strength and he is my shield. And my heart trusts in him. I'm helped by him. Because he helped me, my heart exalts. It rejoices. And I'm just going to sing a song of thanksgiving to him. See, he's doing that in worship. And by the way, you can know also that one of the reasons why God will take care of you is so that you can tell other people. You can sing his praises. Can you please tell me what glory God gets if you get go under? Tell me. What glory does God get if you are defeated in life? Tell me. So that's your assurance. Not that you got it together or you're so hot. You're not. None of us are. The assurance is God is going to show through us living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Yes. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the one to whom we are crying. That's right. So David is doing the very thing. He's being living proof in a congregation about what God had done. Verse 8, the Lord. Now something happens now. Even a further phase. He's been petitioning God privately. He's praising God publicly. And now something happens to him. He starts thinking about what God did for him, and he realizes, wait just a second. What God did for me, God will do for all of his kids. Why? Because they're his kids, and God is consistent. So now he's able to move out of himself. This is what prayer does. It's fascinating. You start, and you're troubled, and you've got a major problem, and you pour your heart out. To God and He sees you through it somehow. He got you to April 26th, whatever, 2009. Yesterday was April 25th. You didn't know you'd make it through April 25th, but here you are, April 26th. And, you know, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but if God is who He is, we'll probably see April 27th. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and so He's moving from um, emptiness to, to deliverance. He praises God, and now he's able to get out of himself a little bit, and he's able to, to tell people, he'll do it for you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when, when you, the previous point you just ended, and you were saying how um, you heard his cry and everything, yeah. we're not saying, though, like, if uh, we're crying for, like, some specific situation that... You may actually get off the separate and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, brother, for sharing he's that. He's going with us through it. Yeah, this is what Cliff said. He's, so, he's on, on target, and that's a great clarification. When you cry to God, it's not so much that this, a specific situation will come your way. You're crying to God for a particular job or, or for healing, as you said. The deliverance sometimes comes in different forms, doesn't it? Sometimes it's the strength to go through that situation rather than to be removed from it. So we can't presume upon the means God chooses to use to assist us 
we can know he always will be our deliverer. Why? Because that's who he is. And right. we have a my God relationship. That's right. That is a great, I think, clarification. Thank you for that. So verse 8, look, the Lord is there. Look, verse 7, the Lord is my strength. That is the transition. Verse 8, the Lord is their strength. If he's my strength, then he's your strength also because why? He is a saving defense to his anointed. He is a savior. So if he saves or delivers you, of course he'll do it to others who belong to him because that's his nature. Amen. And look what he does in the closing verse. Save your people. You see the word save? It comes from the Hebrew word meaning Yeshua. Yeshua. And from Yeshua, if you go to the Greek New Testament, you get Jesus. And from Jesus, from Greek to English, you get Jesus. Right. So this is how this could read. Jesus, your people, and bless your inheritance. What do you mean, Jesus, your people? And you shall call his name for he will save his people from their sins. That's, That's right. what Jesus means, Savior. So people say that Jesus is never mentioned in the Old Testament. Mm. Those are people who don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Jesus, your people, save your people and bless your inheritance. And by the way, what is God's inheritance? Is it land? Is it uh, a building? Is it gold? Is it silver? What's God's inheritance? Look around. That's right. We is. Peeps are God's inheritance. The people for whom he died and redeemed. Where is heritage? Where is investment? Say, notice the time. Save your people. Bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. David was a shepherd boy before he was king. He came up through the ranks. And he gives us a marvelous image with which undoubtedly he was well acquainted. Have, do you have the image? Have you seen uh, photos or pictures of Middle Eastern shepherds who sometimes bring back either an ill or afflicted or wandering sheep by carrying it straddled across his shoulders? You see? That's the image David is using. But he's calling upon the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And he's saying, will you carry your people forever just as you have carried me through life thus far. So folks we have discovered if there is a formula for success in the Christian life here it is. Talk to God about what's going on. Whatever it is. Make your first recourse to him because he is your rock. Pour out your heart before him. <coughs> And then when he sustains you or delivers you or provides for you or supplies what you lack, whatever it is, then enter into the congregation of believers and others and call attention to what he has done. Tell them how he has been your help and how you now exalt in him. And then move from your personal experience with a more public ministry and say, and by the way, what he did for me, he's willing to do for you. That's correct. Because he is a savior and a deliverer. 
and then step back from it all and remind yourself, oh God, your inheritance is not in stuff, it's in the people for whom you die. How will you not carry us through life? You're the good shepherd. You've already demonstrated that you don't only speak words of peace, you've made peace through the blood of the cross. Your deeds are consistent with your words. You're the only one I really can trust. I, I don't have to worry about what you say. You have backed up your promises by delivering the goods. The good shepherd suffered and died for me. Oh God, surely you'll carry your people, your anointed king, and everybody else who belongs to you. Surely you'll carry us through life. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the... It isn't death. It's just the shadow of death. Let's not attribute to the shadow uh, a reality it does not possess. It's just the shadow of death. Why do I say that? Because the one who has a my-God relationship doesn't die. You just get translated. You just get promoted. You just get to be in his presence forevermore. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? For thou? That's a my God relationship. You're with me. You're my rock. You're my deliverer. This beats religion to death. That's this right. isn't any good. That's right. You're not going to go the way of the pit. You won't pass on with the wrath of God upon you if you have accepted the fact that the wrath of God has been fully outpoured upon His Son who was impaled, pierced through, hung on a cross in your place. Then you don't have the wrath of God. You have a, a God who you can refer to as my rock and my strength and my deliverer. And you can say, my song is a function of the evidences that I have seen as I walk through life of yes. how you cared for me, carried me, yes. just as the good shepherd carries the needy sheep through life. No, uh, that doesn't uh, occur, though, with the unsaved. He says those that hate him... Uh, he says, I'll not hear their prayers. Yes. And he also says, in their calamity, I will laugh at them. So you got a real problem if you don't know the Lord Jesus. Yeah, well said. And uh, Brother Charles, David is actually praying, isn't he, against those who have made their decisions to be anti-God. Yep. It's something called, this is tricky, I don't get this all, but it's called an imprecatory psalm. That's and imprecation is when you pray to God against somebody. And you say, good night, how do we get off doing something like that? I don't know exactly, except you see it all through the Psalms. Imprecations, where the psalmist calls down God's wrath against the wicked. The only thing I can think of is, as long as what you're praying is consistent with God's will, you're okay. So if it appears that God is going to judge those who have turned from him and refused to acknowledge him, as Brother Charles pointed out, right. then it seems to me we could pray, oh God, then your will be done. So, but it's really risky, so be, be careful about praying down the wrath of God upon someone just because you don't like them. Now, that would not be a good idea. Okay, so folks, Lord willing, next week, if the shepherd on high seems to carry us, sees fit to carry us through one more week here on planet Earth, 
Uh, then Brother Chuck's going to take us into Psalm 29. This is going to be great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we bow before you because you're the really, really, really good shepherd. You don't just do good. You are good by nature. And therefore, we can confidently make our recourse to you, though we are not good. Thank you that you hear our cry for mercy, and thank you that you can call upon infinite resources to help us through life, as has been pointed out, not so much according to our will and imagination, but according to what you think is best in terms of eternity. Uh, thank you that as we petition you for help and as we see you deliver, we have cause to praise you in the congregational believers, even to minister to one another with regard to the help with which we have been helped from on high. Thank you. As you were with David some 3,000 plus years ago, so too you are with us today, because that's just how unchangeably consistent you are. Thanks much for allowing us to refer to you as our rock, personal possessive pronoun. And he's a lot to us, Lord Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. See you next time.